Welcome to the Payments Journal Podcast, and here is your host, Ryan Mack. Welcome to the Payments Journal Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Mack. Now, when it comes to the B2B payment space, we frequently talk about the digitization acceleration that has been happening in part due to the pandemic. Interestingly though, this digitization has caused a few head scratchers for businesses who are or are thinking about building their own in-house back office architecture. On the one hand, something in-house gives you the ability to custom tailor it to your business needs. But on the other hand, well, to discuss those points, I'm joined by Mark McCarthy, who is the SVP of Sales and Reconciliations for SEMs at AutoRec, and Steve Murphy, who is the Director of the Commercial and Enterprise Payments Advisory Service for Mercator Advisory Group. So there's certainly a lot of data and insight to unpack on this episode. So without any further delays, let's start the show. So Steve and Mark, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on this episode of the Payments Journal podcast here. Now, Mark, I, I want to start off today's conversation with you. So in your expert opinion, why do firms build in-house solutions for settlements and payment reconciliations? Well, I think that obviously as a technology firm, it's in your DNA to, to build everything internally, to try and solutionize as much as possible. After all, you've assembled a great team of engineers, so why wouldn't you rely on them to um, build out the process from end to end. And I think that's what we see in most companies today is this usage of their internal teams. Yeah, uh, Mark, uh, Steve here. It, it might be helpful for some of the listeners if you possibly have an example of, um, you know, when you're talking about payment systems and you've got back end and middleware and front end, perhaps uh, you can explain the difference or give an example. Yeah, of course. I mean, the payments process is at the heart and at the core of the platforms of, of payment firms. And as part of that, obviously, they also need to ensure that the payments have been transacted properly end to end, that the settlement has taken place correctly. And these are sort of middle and back office sort of functions that we see in payment firms. So they're not necessarily core activities. I mean, the middle office is debatable whether or not that is, but the back office is seen as an accounting function and with any firm in any industry in any sector, accounting is always seen as that that sort of lesser priority over everything else. I think that that is it's obviously a fallacy. I mean, you know, it's obviously the backbone of any organization to make sure the balance sheet is correct. But you know, it's it's what I would say like the less sexier part of or function of many organization because everyone wants to look at the front end of their processes because that's where the money is being made. So it's almost seen that back office functions are seen as perfunctionary and therefore less attention is paid to them. So when we look at payment firms in particular, you know, the intention at the outset is always to make sure that what they have built is fully functional and up to the task of all of the functions across the board. But as time moves on, companies obviously will react to the pressures that they receive from their customer base. And more often than not, that is front-end focused rather than back-end focused. So what we see is a mixture of, of capabilities for middle and back office. They tend to range from very high-spec, very well-built-out processes to processes that are partially built in, in a system, partially outside of a system, so an Excel spreadsheets. And we also see people who obviously just have spreadsheets. And I think it's just as companies grow and they build up headcount, 
they separate out these functions rather than looking at functions end to end. And I think that therein lies some of the complexities as a company grows to go from, you know, what was an end to end solution to something that looks a lot more fragmented. Okay, thanks for that. It's helpful. Back to you, Ryan. Yeah, I, I certainly agree with that. But as I'm kind of listening to, to that conversation here, really what kind of keeps getting racked inside my brain is that, you know, say for, you know, reason here that I'm a business and I'm taking a look at building my own back office system here, I might kind of go down the path of, well, I understand my business better than anybody else does. I'm in it day to day. But why with that kind of notion might it not be a good idea for a business to build their own back office system, would that be a good approach? Is it not the best approach? And if not, then why? Of course, every business specializes in their own niches, and therefore they know their business way better than anyone ever will. That That's, that's always going to be the case. Therefore, it is a knee-jerk reaction to say, okay, I understand my space best, so therefore I'll build everything out from my own viewpoint. However, the reality is, as I said before, life tends to explode quickly. Uh, what we've seen is obviously a huge expansion in the payment space. It's overwhelmed some of the companies that sit within the space. They didn't realize the success was going to be quite as sharp as it was ever, obviously, the pandemic of the past two years. Uh, and as a result of that, the focus of these organizations is obviously directed more towards the front end of their, of their um, architecture. So not, not say, um, notwithstanding that, though, there is a level of expertise that comes with certain spaces that you're just not necessarily going to hire in. And I think this is what we see across many payments firms is this a notion and belief that that they are sitting in the best possible position to understand every part of their functionalities or functions that they have. But the reality is that, you know, there are obviously consultancies and vendors who've got deep expertise and learning in particular aspects of a business. So they might not understand the business end to end. Because, again, every company has its own footprint, right? But certainly, you know, spaces like accounting, back office, middle office, this is levels of expertise that, that sits across many different companies and, yeah, probably has deeper expertise coming in from the outside. And that's one of the things we've also noticed is that fintech firms tend to bring together the right brains in terms of technology, but not necessarily in terms of functionalities. And I think that that's sometimes the disparity we see when we look at the in-house builds that exist is that they were built to a spec that no one truly understood. And I've worked in, in the field of reconciliations and financial control for 20 years. And everywhere I've been to, you know, companies have tried to put project managers onto what looks like a simple problem. But because the project managers don't have the expertise in that particular field, they often lose their way in the process flows because it seems like quite a simple process to fix. I'm comparing two or three sets of data, right? But the reality is that within that lies a lot of complexity with the different data nuances, the data, uh, data actions that exist, and how different uh, data suppliers work with their information. So if we think about, for example, working with multiple banks globally, you will have issues around FX conversions, you will have issues around local jurisdictions and uh, regulations, you will have issues around working with foreign processes that are different to your own that you're used to you know every organ every company is different in terms of how they deal with chargebacks for example it's those kind of activities and that's the kind of level of ex expertise that perhaps will be lacking in-house as you see seek to have technologists come in 
rather than functional expertise from people who have worked in these industries for many years. So, Mark, this is more of a, I think, more of a comment than a question, but feel free to comment if you want. I'm just surprised that the, you know, given the conversations and all the surveys and stuff that I see and the level of activity across payments and the digitization that's been occurring for, you know, probably four to five years, which has even accelerated over the past couple of years. I'm just really surprised that so many companies are still attempting to build in-house given the solutions for that are available. I just I wonder if it's really a, a product of the fact that they don't understand or fully understand the solutions that are available for the back end. That's a great question. And here's a great analogy that, that someone mentioned to me just yesterday. And the analogy was, why do car manufacturers seek to build their own maps and their own voice activation systems when you have all of these products already in the market, already well proven by companies that specialize in those product sets? You know, so if we look at, let's say, Volvo, for example, they had their own proprietary voice activation system for many years, but they've just now come to the realization that obviously companies like Google have much better voice recognition software than they as a car company will ever be able to build. And I think that's a great analogy here when we look at payment space. There is always that feeling of being a proprietary company that can build everything. But I think companies are now slowly starting to realize that there are companies out there with deep levels of expertise in particular functions of their organization. So they will start to move away from building their own piece of technology. And I've already seen this with some startups who've already started thinking ahead and saying to themselves, you know what, I'm not going to even attempt to build this when I can buy it in. Because when we look at the cost aspect of building something, imagine if you're in Silicon Valley and your engineers are costing as much as we all know they cost, right? Do you really want to divert their attention from your core product and put them into the back office space for six to 12 months to build that out? Probably not, right? The ROI is simply not there when you can buy tools in cheaper than than the cost of you know having two or three engineers trying to build an in-house controls framework. Gotcha. Thanks. Yeah. So I mean, I, there's there's a couple things that are certainly kind of popping up to the top of top of my brain now. But I, I, to kind of get at a high level perspective of a lot of the questions that are go that that I've got right now is. Why then at a high level is then this an issue for payments firms, particularly now um, within the industry? I think we can break that down into multiple sections, really. First of all, as I mentioned at the outset, the, the absolute explosion of payments over the past two years, even though we're seeing a slight reduction in that at the moment, the trajectory is still going up. We're still going to see a lot of new payment types coming in, whether they're embedded payments whether they are the Internet of Things type payments, whether they are micropayments for peer-to-peer, as we just saw there with Apple launching their in-phone pause capability, for example, we're going to see an increase in different ways in which we can pay. That proliferation of payment processing will mean, obviously, that scalability becomes a factor. And with scalability comes then the need for maintenance, support and maintenance of, of tools. The other thing that exists when you start increasing volume is that even though, you know, the number of, of exceptions that need to be handled in any of these processes is quite low, you know, let's say less than 1%, less than 1% is still a lot if you suddenly are transacting millions or tens of millions per day. So someone needs to deal with that. Someone needs to work on that. Someone needs to maintain a system. Someone needs to 
actively work with those exceptions and and resolve them. So what we're going to see is increases of teams that don't necessarily need to exist because obviously there's technology out there today that can intelligently interpret or route issues, for example. The other thing that I think will be an issue for companies in this regard is, is obviously as they are successful, they will want to grow. They want to grow into new markets. That's just a natural reaction. Growing into a market outside the United States, for example, brings with it many challenges. Europe, for example, is incredibly regulated because there's a lot of regulation around safeguarding people, customers. And as a result of that, there's a raft of regulations that you need to be aware of if you want to enter into that market. So with that comes the need for greater transparency of your data, how you process your data, where you process your data. There's more regulation in terms of how you control your data, what you do with certain transactional processes, for example, chargebacks. There comes a regulation around how you settle and the risk of settlement. Um, so all of these factors need to be taken into consideration. I think there's also a third element, and that is the Biden administration is obviously vying to look at how Europe is regulating and how America can safeguard their customers more in the future as well. At the moment, regulation in the U.S. around payments seems to be quite fragmented across the different states. But at some point in the future, we will see that, you know, bubbling up to, uh, to a federal level. I think, therefore, thinking ahead and thinking of what the challenges are in Europe, for example, is a good precursor to what the challenges could be in the U.S. in the future. So the more control you have of your data, the more transparency and oversight you have of your data at any given point in time, whether it's FX exposure, whether it's issue management or whether it's any kind of issues that exist around settlements, the better off you're going to be. So, Mark, uh, you had mentioned the, the regulations and and. Basically, what I've seen at the federal level is sort of more talk than any action. Is there anything that, that you're seeing in terms of, uh, you know, how, how the Fed, you know, the OCC and the various other regulators might be approaching this in the future? Well, I certainly would agree with you in that it has been a lot of talk up to date. We've, we've seen multiple statements being made by various members of, of the federal government, but we've not really seen much action. However, what we have learned is that bubbling away in the background has been some interaction between the SEC and uh, the federal regulators with the European regulators to see how the European controllers have worked with fintechs. So, for example, in the United Kingdom, uh, the Financial Conduct Authority has a sandbox where fintech firms can go and test their products against regulation. It allows the regulator to understand new technology and, and new thinking but it also allows companies to be rest assured that their ideas will not come against any, uh, up against any regulatory scrutiny uh, in the future. And this has worked well in multiple different areas. And I think you know, that is something definitely the U.S. will be, be looking at itself going forward is how they can build out these sandboxes. So we, we do know that that is happening. I don't know what that will lead to or what timeframes there might be for the United States. But certainly the thing that, I would say, as, as, a, as a tech vendor myself, is be prepared for all circumstances and eventualities. And I've worked with many firms who've taken that leap, have looked ahead and gone, we want to we want to be the standard bearer. We want best practice. We want to be the gold standard in the industry. Therefore, we're going to go and look around the world and see what regulations are out there that we think might end up here in the United States. And therefore, we will be the front, front foot of that trend and we will already be ready for it when it comes.
No, I, I certainly think it's, it's it's something that a lot of organizations certainly have to consider. I mean, as Steve pointed out there, you know, just kind of the digitization that he's, he's seen over the past four to five years and then the really acceleration, I think plays a large part into, Mark, really what you were kind of unpacking there of some of the things that organizations really need to be aware of. And it's not as though the payments industry, it's a kind of a, okay, like, you know, it's this way today and it's that way tomorrow, but things do continuously evolve. And when you take a look at kind of in-house built systems, you do always have to ask that question is, are you prepared for what challenges are going to be brought up tomorrow? And you do have some organizations that, quite frankly, just don't have the resources to be able to take a look at all of those different things that they need to consider on a you know, periodic basis that, hey, we need to change our system. And sometimes that can be a ground up change from a software development side of things that, hey, we began programming our system within either this particular language or in this particular format here. And now that no longer complies with from a global standpoint or also from a particular geographic standpoint within the world, as you're starting to see more and more countries almost also lock down the data and saying, hey, you can no longer, if a data is aggregated in this particular country, it has to remain in this particular country. So there's a lot of things that organizations certainly need to keep an eye on. But then now let's look at the other side of the coin here and say, Mark, how are vendors then different from the self-built platforms that we were talking about? Yeah, the great question. And, you know, you made a really good statement there around the, the program programming and, and uh, architecture aspect. I don't see programming languages as being a barrier, but certainly how systems have been scripted could lead to barriers to um, to being able to 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 face some of the challenges that you outlined there, like data jurisdiction, for example. So how vendors different? Well, vendors have a lot more flexibility and expertise. And it's again, coming back to the analogy made there before. If you are a car manufacturer, why on earth would you be building you know, maps when there's so many expert companies out there that already do that for you? And the same is true for these kind of processes, financial control processes, middle office, back office controls. Companies, vendors that have worked in the industry for many years have done so across multiple sectors. So they've got deep learning and deep experience across multiple different aspects of looking at certain challenges. More often than not, it doesn't matter if, if a vendor, particularly in this space, has worked in investment management or in, in banking or in insurance, the, the problems are still the same. You're still receiving a payment that still needs to be settled, that still needs to be processed. There's still an expected side versus the actual side. All of these aspects require flexibility in a tool, and a software vendor in this space will have built that into their tool. There needs to be the ability for these kind of applications to be able to be malleable to the different companies. Like we said there at the outset, every firm has their own way of doing things and it differs from company to company and everyone in those companies know knows their business best. So you really do need to be highly flexible to be able to enter into an organization that's already mid-flight, that's already potentially built something that's no longer seen as fit for purpose and take over that process seamlessly. And I think that's that's the key challenge to our software vendors is to be able to to fill those gaps quickly and be able to add value quickly. The other aspect is obviously, as I said before, because companies like mine have been in these different industries for so long, we have built these deep levels of expertise. So it's not just about the software, it's also about the people that come with the software and how they view some of the challenges and issues and how they've fixed those elsewhere. 
it's bringing best practice to table. It's bringing the best breed and class as well in terms of software to the table. And then together, working together to make sure that the solution is optimal for the organization that it's being built for. The other aspect I think that's really important in this regard is that, you know, some of the challenges I spoke there about earlier with in-house build also relate to what happens when things change, right? Do you need to call a developer? Do you need to call an engineer to come and fix it? And the reality is, particularly in reconciliations, that things change quickly. Most data vendors are, uh, I'm not going to let you know in advance that they're going to make a change. They just expect you to pick that up, right? So you have a time-critical part of the process where you've received, let's say, a bank statement that suddenly has changed completely. What do you do then? How long do you have to wait to get your engineer to come and look at it and fix it and deploy to production? All of these things are a matter of time, and time is off the essence when you're processing in millions or tens of millions of transactions or hundreds of millions of transactions per day, right? So what do you want is a piece of software where you can very, very quickly make changes yourself. And I think that's one of the key essences here is the uh, ability to react to changes as and when they occur with the right level of expertise and confidence and competence to make sure that those risks are mitigated as quickly as possible. Just uh, curious, Mark, I know you're out there competing for business and so forth, but are you seeing anything in the marketplace uh, or any differences, I should say, in the way vendors are being selected? You know, you've got this ongoing migration to the cloud, particularly uh, expected among banks over the next several years. And you got the increasing use of uh, APIs to integrate sort of uh, best-in-class solutions. So are you seeing that the the folks that are selecting vendors are taking that more into consideration? Absolutely, and great question, particularly around APIs. So APIs is going to be our gateway to being as, as close to real-time as possible, and I think that's something that's been lacking in this regard for a very long time. Anyone who's ever worked in middle and back office will know that it takes days for things to settle, and I think faster payments is going to be a gateway for us to be able to to, to really notch it up crank it up, basically, in terms of how much volume we can process. The other thing is most bank statements tend to come overnight, right? That, that's got to change. APIs now gives us a window into our bank statements four times a day, intraday. And I think that's a key factor when we look at how we want to process data, how quickly we want to turn that around. So certainly innovation is key here. And when we look at vendors, this is another key differentiator between in-house and vendors. Vendors are highly competitive with each other. And obviously, we'll strive to be best in class at all times. So we will be at the forefront of innovation in these spaces. And again, are you going to do that if you built something in-house? Probably not, because you don't have the drivers that the vendor space has, for example. In terms of the, the competitiveness, yes, of course, everyone's striving to, 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 to be best in class. And that's achievable for, for, for most, but I think... When it comes to expertise, I think that's an area where there's a disparity between between the different vendors. What you want is a company that has deep expertise, has consultants who've been in the business and in the company for a long time and understand the space and understand the, their software very well. I've seen many implementations by other companies which have been ill-considered and maybe not as well thought out. And I think the key to success when working with a vendor is to be a partner with the vendor rather than being just a customer of a vendor. The partnership allows a good communication flow, 
It ensures that there's a best understanding of the data model. And I think maybe this is reason why some companies are reluctant to go to vendors because they don't think they're going to get that level of service. But it's hugely important to ensure that you pick the right vendor is really going to tick all your boxes. And, you know, from my perspective, the companies I've been working with, we've been working with them incredibly closely to make sure that, you know, we slot into their data architecture, their data models, that the, the process flow is seamless, that it's integrated both downstream and upstream, because, you know, rec reconciliation tools are not just about matching. They're also about validating, making sure your interchange fees are calculated correctly, for example, or making sure that your your FX rates have been applied correctly. You, know, you also want to be able to export those quarterly reports, which currently take weeks and weeks to complete. When you have a tool like a piece of rock, uh, reconciliation software, all the data is already there, and if you just have to create an output report, then you've got everything in one go. And this is what I was saying earlier. Companies tend to look at certain processes in a fragmented way rather than end-to-end. -end. And I think in the end of the day, vendors can come in and help build out a target operating model that's fit for purpose and really gives a lot of automation and reduction of, of manual efforts. Because in the end of the day, you want to reduce your control risks around manual intervention. And fortunately, something we see all too often where there's spreadsheets involved is the ability for people to kind of make errors, of course, and you want to remove that as much as possible. Yeah, it's interesting. I just published a piece on treasury automation and yeah, there's this buzzword out there, real-time treasury, and and that's not happening without real-time payments and real-time reconciliation. So <laughs> back to you, Ryan. Yeah, I certainly agree. It's kind of have, hard to have that real-time without the rail there. Yeah, and, and I certainly agree, Mark. You know, I, I think kind of taking a point to your working with industry experts there, I mean, to me, it really kind of boils down to, and we've used the term quite frequently on the Payment Journal podcast, of that network effect that your organization is kind of, you know, seeing a lot of things that go along in the industry and know of these offset use cases or these outliers that it's like, hey, all of a sudden, as you brought up the example, all of a sudden, these instructions, they changed overnight. And you're like, well, what do I do with this? Well, from your organization's standpoint, hey, well, we've already seen that. So we know how to adapt to that. Um, whereas opposed to possibly an in-house system, hey, we've never seen this. And again, to your point, I've got to call somebody, I've got to make these modifications. Well, you know, unfortunately, money doesn't sleep. So you got to, you know, you got to keep moving and it's got to keep going here. So before we wrap things up here, Mark, I know that we've kind of alluded to a lot of this next question here, but I really kind of want to get to the point and just really kind of drive it home at the end here. What are the benefits then of engaging with a vendor? Absolutely great question. And yeah, we, we have alluded to most of the, the points I'm going to make now, but I mean, let's just put it into context. The absolute benefits are obviously the ability to rely on expertise that comes in, the ability to really look at a process flow that's probably not been fit for purpose for a while, to revisit that with experts in the room, build that out, make sure it's fit for purpose, make sure it's scalable, make sure there's a reduction in support and maintenance that's required around it. Um, we, we often see this within the house builds that there's maybe an engineer or two dedicated to just maintaining the system. We want to remove those overheads. Then the next point, and I think, you know, Steve alluded to this earlier as well, you know, where does it sit? Does it sit in the cloud? Does it sit on premise? I mean, cloud's just the way to go. So you want a flexible vendor that can work with your cloud solutions as well. And I think data residency is another key issue here. 
software vendors will have ways of working around where your data sits while still providing you with an overview platform to, to, to be able to monitor all of the activities of all your, your financials as you go through. Obviously, full automation end-to-end, the removal of any kind of manual manipulations is absolutely key. The ability to connect through APIs to, again, increase speed is something everyone should be considering moving forward. Intraday is the way to go. I mean, it does come with some degree of risk. Let's be in no doubt about that. Intraday might miss a few actions because you're processing in real time or as close to real time as possible. So you might miss where payment, for example, has been declined because you may have picked it up as a payment in, in the first wave of data you've received, and then it might become a decline in the second wave. But there's ways and means of dealing with those scenarios on an ongoing basis, and the vendor will have those kind of solutions built into their tool. Other factors to consider is, is cost, as I mentioned there before. Do you really want to have engineers sitting on this, working on something that you don't see as value add? Probably not. So outsourcing it is definitely the way to go. Cost reduction, get more ROI. If you do have a team working on data manipulation, on building reports, for example, again, something to look at. Why, why is there 20 people sitting in a particular department doing something that could be automated in a streamlined process? And, you know, as I said before, I think one of the key things we should not underestimate is that processes like reconciliations look like a simple problem, but the solution is often far more complex. And the benefit of working with a vendor is obviously bringing in an end-to-end platform that will deal with the entire problem for you. These things are quick to deploy. They're quick to use. They're user-friendly. You, know, you don't need to be a technologist to, to be able to work with these kind of tools. Certainly, anyone who's, who's a little bit savvy with Excel will be able to use any one of the recon tools on the market. So there is a lot of benefits to, to looking at an outsourced tool rather than trying to build it in-house, for sure. Excellent. Well, I think we'll end it on that note there. So, Mark, Steve, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me on the podcast, and I hope to have you both back on the podcast real soon. Thank you very much for having us. My pleasure.